good to see you. <laughs> wow, it is still good to see you. How, how are you? Um, listen, you're going to need a Bible, and you're going to need to open it to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 uh, to 34. I don't know if you've seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Um, if you haven't, it, it's... Uh, it's a romantic comedy. They don't really make romantic comedies much these days, but this one is one of the newer ones that was, that was made. Um, the title is, is really played out in the first scene of the film. Basically, the first scene is uh, this Asian woman with her kids who walk into a hotel lobby, and they say they need a room, and the hotel um, manager says, no, we don't have any room. There's sort of this tone of, racism going on there and something in the background you can you can feel it anyway she goes over makes a phone call and walks back to the front desk and said uh i think you should be getting a call uh, in just a second to give us a room and he's kind of snooty about it and then of course the call comes and he answers the phone and come to find out her husband just purchased the hotel to get them into the to get them into the room um I remember watching that, that uh, scene and thinking, can you imagine having that much money? C- can, you, can you imagine the kind of power that you have that if you get offended or bothered by a social media company, you just buy it, <laughs> right? You, you just say, ah, that's chump change to me, 43 billion or whatever it cost Elon Musk to do it. You imagine the kind of power that comes with being Bill Gates at Starbucks. I mean, many of us, we look at a Starbucks and say, oh, seven bucks, that's too much. Bill Gates is like, oh, it doesn't matter to me, right? The power that comes with, with wealth, um, we believe, I think, in our, in our society that, that more money would solve many of our problems. In, in fact, I remember doing a, a little game with, uh, when I was a youth pastor with a bunch of the students um, when we were on a mission trip. We were sitting, honestly, we were sitting in Guatemala City at, in, in a, kind of a rundown house and we were supposed to be serving the folks there. And even in that setting, we were sitting around in a circle and I said, okay, I, just let's, let's play a silly game. Uh, if you could have anything... What would you, what do you want? Like, what, what, would you, what would you ask for? You know, you rub the genie, and of course the first kid, oh, more wishes, um, right? Okay, let's assume the genie's smart enough not to give you more wishes. What do you want? And the response from most of them was, well, I want money. As much as I can have. And of course, listen, they've learned that from us. And we learned that from our forebears. It's, it's an American value that if you have more money, you will be happier. And there are people who from time to time come along and say, yes, but money won't buy happiness, to which people like Gertrude Stein reply, people who say money can't buy happiness just don't know where to shop. <laughs> but how should Christians view money? The same as the rest of the society, the, the same as the rest of the world? Is it, is it true that the more that you have, the happier you'll be? 
I mean, there's a lot of energy that goes into chasing after wealth in our society. Should that be the same kind of energy that, that Christians have? I mean, are the prosperity teachers the people who say, you know, God wants you to be rich. You should seek those riches, should pray for them. You should decree and declare that God should give you that thing, whatever that thing is, whether it's a car or a house or a business or whatever. I decree and declare, say the prosperity teachers, that this is mine and God's will is for you to have it. You need to speak it out so that it comes back to you. Are they on to something? They say that the more that you have, of course, the more you can use to bless others or, or whatever, but it's always interesting to me that those folks who say that own, own seven houses and many different places. Is, is that the approach? It's the majority viewpoint, I think, among Christians in, in, in America, certainly in Africa these days, that prosperity gospel is hit hard. 95% or so, they say, of the African church and pre preachers are advocates of it. Think about that, in Africa, the message of Christianity in many churches is God wants you to have more money. Well, is, that, is that it? Is that true? Look, I, I want to try to answer those questions in the next uh, number of weeks. Six weeks. We're calling this series On the Money, uh, mostly because if you look on the money here in the United States, it gives you the answer to the question uh, you don't need to come to church. Just pull out a $1 bill and on top it says, in God we trust. There you go. Let's pray. But I do want to go through several of the passages of scripture about, about money. Now, before I do this, can I just, can we just, I'm going to hit pause right now on this sermon. Let, let's just, let's talk honestly for just a minute. Here's something, here's, here's why I want to do this. Number one, I don't want to do it so that you give more money to the church. I actually don't really care what you give to the church or don't give to the church. The Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? He will take care of his church using you or not using you. I'm not coming along and saying, hey, we need to build a building right now so that here's, here's five weeks on how, why you should give money to, to the church. That's not, that's not what I'm intending on doing at all. Second, why do I want to do it right now? I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but uh, the markets are a little crazy, right? We have no idea what's going on right now. Is there going to be a recession? Is there going to be a depression? I mean, inflation is going crazy, and it's in the news all the time. More than often, the economy is really on the minds of lots of people, and so it really is a good moment. I mean, our interest is peaked when it comes to finance. So it seems like a really good time to talk about this because third, we are the richest people in the history of the world. Seriously, if you go to Europe today, you will drive around and you will see castles. And they are smaller than the castles near my house. We are the wealthiest people in the history of the world. And so if Jesus spent as much time talking about money to the people of his day who had Barely what you and I have, you can imagine that if he showed up right now, stood next to me, he would say, you know, we should probably talk about money because it's a thing for us. So let's talk about money. The passage I want to look to first 
is out of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34, and in it, we're going to try to answer the question, how should we view money on our desire to have more of it? Like, what's the, the big question? How do we view money, and especially our desire in the West, to have more of it, and knowing, of course, that it's going to make us happy? I've got four ideas in this passage, okay? Number one, we ought to guard against the desire for more. The desire for more, money, is something to be guarded against. Right, so let's go to the passage itself. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, someone in the crowd, now I'm gonna point this out for just a second. Uh, if you go in the context, just go back a few verses, one of the things that you'll learn really quickly is that uh, Jesus is, is being so crowded out that people are almost trampling each other at the beginning of Luke chapter 12. That's what Luke says. I mean, they're everywhere, all on top of each other. I mean, the crowds have come out to see the master miracle worker. So he gets all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds, and, and they're out there. And one of his main messages in the previous verses is, you do know that the Lord cares for you, right? I mean, the Lord cares for the sparrows. And you can get like five of them for a penny. And he cares more for you than a bird, right? All of the hairs on your head are numbered. And for some of you, that's not really hard. But all of the hairs on your head are numbered. Like God could say, well, there goes number 473 into the drain today. He knows the details about you. He cares so much about you. This is kind of his message to, to the crowd, okay? So in that context, someone, a certain guy, we don't know his name, but we do know his situation. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell, look at it, he's not asking, he's not asking for anything here, right? He's not saying, would you please? He is ordering Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell him, Rabbi, do your job. Now, here's probably what's going on with this guy. He probably has an older sibling, and the rules in those days were that if you were an older sibling and your father died, especially your older son, your father died, you got a double portion of the inheritance, and then you divided the rest with your other siblings, okay? So being the firstborn gets you two times, but then you have to divide it with others. It was common for some siblings who got in lots of fights with their brothers when they were little to take the double inheritance and say, well, I'll give you the rest of it, but later, when you're nice, you know, when you apologize for poking me that time when we were six, or whatever. So here you have a situation where this younger brother comes forward and he's saying, Jesus, it's an injustice that my brother is not dividing the inheritance with me. He can have his two times, but I want my portion. So you, rabbi, miracle worker, you, you tell him off. But he, Jesus, sa said to him, <laughs> I love this, uh, 
This, this actually is what we call an optative. It, it, it basically says, oh man, in our, in our parlance, it's like, come on, man. Come on, man, what do you think? It's like Biden, come on, man. Who, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Look, I'm not gonna solve your issue. Do you, have you not heard what I've been talking about in the previous moments? God cares for you and then you come up and you wanna talk about, about money and how you need more of it? So he said, no, notice, to them, okay? He's, he goes from talking to him and now he says to them. So he's been talking to this guy and he's like, okay, I'm gonna use this as an opportunity to tell everybody what she, they should think about money. So he said to them, Take care and, and, and be on your guard against all covetousness. This word is greed. You know, wanting something that you don't currently have. Be careful and on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I love this this word, to, to be on your guard. I mean, it's, it's, it's a word that really does reflect the, the idea of, you know, post a century. Because the covetousness, you know, Joe Q. Covetous, he wants to break in. And he wants to ruin everything. So you post a century. I was at Costco uh, the other day. And I, Costco, they love me when they see me coming because they know that I'm getting Costco'd. So I walked through the door, my wife and I, and we just wandered around, and I came across, you know, they have the seasonal stuff in the middle of this store, and I, I came across um, the mosquito defense section. I don't know if you know this, but Costco's like got eight different mosquito defenses. At first, I saw one, and I was like, I hate, mos- I hate mosquitoes, and last year when I was here in the summertime, one of the things that really bothered me is that you have too many mosquitoes. So I was like, Unprepared, but this year, I walked to the first one, and it's candles. I said, we should get these candles. So I put them in the cart, and then I walked to the next thing, and it was this, it's this little thing that exudes some sort of mist that they hate. So I'm like, one of those? And the next one is like this thing that hangs from a set. You can hang it from your house, and they get drawn to that. So I'm like, okay, I'll put that far away from our, from our deck, have the candles going and the little fumer, and, and then they'll be attracted to that and be repelled by this. I'll get one of those. And then I went to the next one, and this other one had like twice the power as the first one. And instead of getting one or the other, I just bought both, right? Because ain't no mosquitoes coming to my yard. And then... I got home and I made a phone call to the mosquito spraying guys who are gonna come to my house and they are gonna guard against the mosquitoes because mosquitoes are wicked and awful and I hate everything about them and in heaven they won't be there. But th- this is the image that he's trying to play on. That, it, that kind of preparation and guarding against something go out of your way to keep your heart from covetousness because it wants to come in and spread its disease all through you. Guys, that is the most shocking countercultural statement that I can think of in the Western world, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? Do whatever you can to stay away from greed, the desire for other stuff that we don't currently have. Dude, our whole economy runs on the desire to have other stuff. 
We feel good, like good Americans when we buy. They say, well, your consumer spending has gone up this, this, this quarter. And we're like, yay, I was part of that. But, he, but here you have Jesus saying, uh, be, be careful, be on, be on guard. If, if somebody came to you today and they offered you a job at twice the pay that you currently receive, most people would not even take a second thought in, in, in accepting it. And the reason for that is because they're offering you the thing that our society says will solve your problems. Double the money. And yet, you have passages of scripture that again reiterate this, hey, be careful. Money might not be as safe as you think. But those who desire to be rich, this is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Those who desire to be rich, they, they fall into temptation and into a snare. And they get captured like a bear does in a trap. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the desire to have more of it, the constant seeking of it. To answer all of life's question, the, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving, this craving for money, that some, they've even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Do you see, like, if you invite this intruder in, it, there's a real chance that it will take over in your allegiances so that you serve it and not Christ. You cannot serve both God and money. Those are the words of Jesus. I had a friend, uh, actually, who was offered twice his pay. He was from New Zealand. He was visiting us in Canada. And he, while he was there, he got offered twice his pay. But it was going to a location where there were no churches. He didn't know anybody. He had no background. So he said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it, obviously. And so I asked him why. And he's like, well, double the money. And I said, yeah, okay, but if you go down there and you have nobody around and there's no church, no Christian community or anything like that, yeah, you're gonna have double the money, but what about the most important things in your life? Aren't you losing something in that? Aren't you losing the community? Aren't you losing all of the things that really matter to you? Or to put it another way, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. So guard against the desire for more. That's the first one. Here's the second. Having money isn't the issue, though. Having it isn't the issue. It's what we do with it that is the issue. That's the issue. Having money, not the issue, but what we do with it certainly is. So verse 16. So he told them a parable. So remember, he goes from talking to the to the guy, to talking to everyone else, gives the principle, right? Be careful, be careful. It's gonna come in and it's gonna steal from you. I know you think you're gonna, the riches and the good life are held within the money, but it's gonna come in and it's gonna guard against it. So he tells him a parable saying, okay, the land of a rich man, it produced plentifully. Praise God, right? Oh, come on, right? This is a good, this is a good moment. Like nobody's gonna be, I'm not sad for him. Nobody's sad for him. Nobody in the first century would have said, oh, he's in trouble. Absolutely not. 
they would have said, well, this is a sign of God's favor. Like at this point, he probably went out and got one of those little wood blocks and had them carve blessed in it, you know, and put it above their, above their, their fireplace. Had a t-shirt made, blessed, and a little wristband. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. So this land uh, produced plentifully, and, and, and he thought to himself, uh, what do I do? I don't have anywhere to store my crops. Uh, let's stop right here. All right. What options are his? Well, he, I'm going to give two big ones. The, the first option that this guy has is to take what he needs and to give away the rest to others who don't have enough. Now, the reason I, the reason I say that is because in the Jewish world, that was what was expected. It's called almsgiving. You, you, you take what you need and, you, and then you give away, you give away the rest. And so uh, here you have this passage in Exodus chapter 16. It's about the manna in the wilderness. When they come across the Red Sea and they're there, we don't have anything to eat. And so God's like, all right, I'll provide you something to eat. I'm gonna, every morning, I'm gonna put this thin bread on the, on, on the desert floor and you're gonna go out and you're gonna grab it and take it. You're gonna feed your family with it and you're gonna do this every day for 40 years. And he did that, quail as well. This is what the Lord has commanded regarding the manna. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. It's like sizzler, just all you can eat. Do you guys have sizzler? Okay, I apologize for that. Golden Corral. Yes? Okay. I saw in the Golden Corral. You have Golden Corral. Make you sick. As much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer. This is a measurement, you know, a cup. You each take a box full, whatever. According to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tents. So how many people you got in your family? That's how much you're gonna take for yourself, Right? But get like three boxes if you got three people and 10 boxes if you got 10 people. And the people of Israel did so. They, they gathered, some, some gathered more and some gathered less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And then Moses said to them, okay, let, let no one leave any of it until the morning. Because, you know, the temptation at this point is going to be to do, you know, what, what my friend Kyle does. He eats half the pizza at night, and then the next morning he wakes up at 5 a.m. and eats the broccoli pizza or whatever. Like, it's, it's bad at night. How, it's bad in the morning. But their temptation is, what if I want a midnight snack or I wake up in the morning and I'm hungry? So I'm just going to take, take care of my future here. If you do that, he said, something bad's gonna happen. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until the morning and it bred worms and it, and it stank and Moses was angry with them. See, the principle here is give us this day our daily bread. You wonder where Jesus got that from, right? It's from this. In the Lord's Prayer, the thing we're supposed to pray over and over again is give us this day our daily bread, and it's daily because 
You trust the Lord to provide for you each day. You trust him to provide the strength you need. You trust him to provide, you know, the safety you need. And you trust him to provide the finance you need. But the idea is take what you need and then leave the rest. Add another piece. So what's this guy supposed to do? Well, he's supposed to do that. Um, They used to have these guys called the gleaners. And uh, they were the poor people. It was kind of a, a way they, they did a welfare system in, in the ancient world among the people of Israel. And so uh, this is the command in Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, this is what this guy's done. You shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And some of the stuff's going to drop down. You don't need to gather it all. You shall not strip your vineyard uh, bare. You gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, the traveler. I'm the Lord your God. So what should the guy do? Okay, what, what's the option? Well, you should, you should leave, you take what you need, leave the rest. Option, option one. All right, back to the story. He produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. We're right at this point. If we were listening the first time ever, we'd be like, there's a simple solution to this. It's in the, it's in the Bible. But there is a second option. And the second option is keep it. In order to do so, he is going to have to create some more space. He's going to have to upgrade. And he chooses option two. He said, oh, I'll do this. I'll do this. Uh, I'm gonna tear down my barns and then I'm gonna build larger ones and there I'm gonna store all of my grain and my goods. In fact, I'm gonna have so much space that I, I can like put my TVs in there and all the extra stuff that I got. And I will say, now listen, here's the crazy part about this. I want you to notice when he starts talking to himself, how many people in the world does he think exist? And I will say to my soul, soul, you know what I'll do? I'll say to my soul, soul, yes. You, soul, have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. How many people are in the world for him? One, I mean, he's schizophrenic. He's having a stinking conversation with himself. If you're, if you're watching this, you're like, dude, is, do you not have a family? Do you not have anybody else? Because the only person involved is you sitting on your porch drinking iced tea. That's it. I'll do, I know what I'll do with my goods. I'll build my barns and have my stuff for me because I'm awesome. This is, this is his goal. And then God shows up. Because he was there all along. The guy just didn't know it. But God said to him, you idiot. That's what it means. You idiot. This night, your, your soul, the one you were just talking to, that guy, he is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Don't you get it? You think you're the only one here. You chose option two because you think you're the only one here. Here, you have obligations to others. But in your arrogance 
and self-centered pride, you've only provided for yourself. You've not recognized God, you've not recognized your neighbor, you've not recognized anyone. It's just about, it's just about, about you. So, in other words, he is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, rich toward God is the one who chooses option one and treasure for himself is the person who chooses option two to keep it. The moral to this story is choose option, choose option one. Having money isn't the issue, but what we do with it is. Those who are rich toward God, they take what they need and they bless others with the rest. Have you ever been on a hike or anything and you come to like a pond that's filled with uh, algae and muck and stuff and it gives off some putrid smell? In the Pacific Northwest, we have lots of those. The reason it smells so bad is because it has no outlet. Nearby, there'll be rivers like streams of glistening water that you can just, you can actually stick your mouth in and drink like crazy. It's, it's amazing. What, what Jesus is saying is, man, you should be that river and not that pond. You, you should be a person through whom goods and wealth move. You, you take what you need and then you, you pass it on, but not a stank pond that's growing algae and has no outlet. Uh, maybe I'll put it this way. Um, my, my kids... When, when they were little, we used to go to McDonald's, give the fries. I think I brought this up before, right? So you get the fries for the kids at McDonald's, like, heaven! And you, and you sit in the front seat, you want to keep, keep them quiet for a little while. So you give the older one the fries, and their job as the older one, you bought it for everybody, right? But the older one's gonna, he's gonna distribute the fries. And in, inevitably, what happens with the older one is he holds on to the fries, right? I'm, I'm getting a double portion here, <laughs> Right, and so he, he holds on to the fries and he doesn't share them. And then the younger one's always like, Dad, he won't share the fries. They're for both of you, you better share them. Here's one, <laughs> you know, here you have this one fry. It's long, so it'll take you a while to eat. What do you do eventually if this keeps going? What, what do you do eventually? You hit the brakes to scare the living daylights out of them. You hit the brakes, you pull off to the side of the road and you turn around and you say, Son, you aren't the only one here. Take some and share the rest. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> like, honestly, it, that's, what the, that's what the parable's about. And yet, listen, let's be honest. You and I, we love holding those fries. Well, I don't know if I want to give away, you know, all of it or even a lot. Because I might need some for the morning. You can be rich toward God or you can be rich toward yourself. Having money is not the problem. Uh, what we do with it is, uh, here's the third one, the third idea. We love money because we think God doesn't love us. We love money because we think God doesn't love us. Okay, so uh, here's the, Interesting part. Jesus finishes, he could finish the whole thing right here, but Luke adds this next little part and, and, it, and it makes a lot, of, a lot of sense. Luke 12, verse uh, 22. And then he said to his disciples, notice he goes from speaking to the guy to the crowd. Now, 
privately to his disciples because the words he's about to utter have to do with people who follow Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, these are the promises, these are the reminders that God wants you to know. Therefore, he said, I tell you, don't be anxious. Don't worry. It's almost like he peered right into our soul because the thing that we start thinking about when, we, when he says to us, hey, be rich toward God, just give away a whole bunch of the stuff. You, we, you and I are like, oh, I don't know. What about my retirement? What, what, about, what about tomorrow? What about the kids' school fees? What about, what about, what about, what about worry, right? It builds up in us. So Jesus immediately is, like, immediately is like, okay, let's address the thing that's going on in your heart. Don't be anxious about your life specifically what you're gonna eat or about your body, what, what you're gonna put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now he's gonna deal with each one of those things in order. Consider the ravens. The ravens were the snottiest, stinkiest birds. Think crows here, right? No, nobody likes crows. Maybe you do like crows and you've got one in your, in your house. But they are forgetful and largely useless scavengers. In this day, they were ceremonially unclean. They were like the worst of all birds. Do not hang out with the ravens. Consider them, though, those dirty birds. Uh, They they neither sow nor reap. They, They don't get up in the morning and think to themselves, what's on the schedule today? Do I need to plow the field is it time of the year to go out and to uh, harvest the grain? There's no planning. They, they don't even think of it. They just get up, sniff, and off they go. They have neither a storehouse or barn. And yet God feeds them. The senseless, non-planning birds, they eat. In fact, they eat a lot. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Like he takes care of them, why wouldn't he take care of you? And which of you can, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? When, we, when, when Jesus says this, it occurs to me that in our culture, we're like, well, I can add a single hour to my span of life. You know how? Kale. <laughs> think, just think about this for a minute. We are so arrogant in our assumption that we can add a time to our lives, right? We are so arrogant that we eat weeds from the ground that should never be eaten for any reason. I actually think God's up in heaven thinking, saying, Jesus, let's see if they'll eat the dirt, dirt weed. See how they like it. And then we do it because we think, oh, it's gonna add days to your life. But Jesus' point here is like, you can't, you're not gonna add hours to your life. It's ordained. It's ordained. By worrying... You're not gonna add a single hour. This is exactly why I eat bacon. <laughs> if then you are not able to do as small thing as that, well, like, why are you anxious? Why are you anxious about the rest? Now, now consider the lilies. You know, the flowers of the field that just show up every spring. Think about how they grow. Don't just think about how they look. Think about how they get there. They neither toil nor spin. They don't work hard. They're not sitting out there in the field going, okay, I'm gonna work hard today and work out and lift and stuff so I can grow and be big and strong. (laughs) Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You think about the Academy Awards and how long it takes those women to get ready for their their, red carpet walk. 
how long it takes them to look beautiful. He's basically saying, take the most beautiful actress in the entire world and all the planning that went into that, the flowers of the field look better. And they didn't make a single plan about it. God just does it. But if God so close the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. And don't, listen, don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor, nor be worried. For all the nations, listen, all the nations of the world, everybody outside there, all of them seek after these things. It's the only thing that they think about. Guys, think for a minute. This word seek. Think for a minute about what it's like when you lose your credit card or your keys. You do not think about anything else. It is the singular focus of your time and energy. Don't, don't, that's what he means. The word seek means. You're, you're looking for something in order to find it. Don't seek out. The whole world, this is their only thing they think about is money and possessions and how they're gonna get more and be happy with it. Don't seek after these things. Your father knows that you, that you need them. Instead, what should you do? All of your attention and focus and dedication and planning should be on his kingdom. And as a byproduct, these things, food and clothing and needs, they will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that last little phrase, little flock. Jesus is basically saying, don't you, don't you see how much I love and care for you? Like I care for the birds and I care for the lilies and I care for all of these other things and you have no control over this whole world and yet you're hustling and bustling and worrying and fretting about all the things. You're like sheep who think that somehow by Worrying, they're gonna add days to their lives or protect themselves, but sheep don't worry about that. You know what sheep do? They trust, they trust the shepherd. And this is, guys, this is where you have to go into passages of scripture like the famous ones that we love. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I, sh I shall not want. There's, there's nothing that he won't provide for me. He makes me lie down in green pastures, not the cruddy ones. He doesn't take me out to the middle of the wilderness where there's like one plant and it's kale. He makes me lie down in the greenest pastures and he leads me beside the still waters, not the roaring waters where a sheep can't go and, and drink, but the still ones where they're able to go and drink as much as they possibly can. Don't you, don't you see? I wanna give you everything. And yet you're so worried Providing for yourself and thinking that all that stuff is gonna make you ultimately happy. This has been your experience as a Christian. You know this. You know this. Your experience as a Christian has been that God has always given you more than you possibly need in ways that you never expected it. And what he's done in the past, he'll do. So why are you anxious? We love money because we think God doesn't love us. What a lie. Here's the last one. You need to invest in the biggest treasure. You need to invest in the biggest treasure. Let, let's, let's be accountants for a minute. 
and finish this passage out. I want to read, read verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. Like he's excited about it. He's, he's thrilled to give you <laughs> the kingdom. Uh, that's a lot, no? Like seriously, the kingdom of God, the one that God himself owns, his reign and his rule, he owns all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus is his heir and we're his co-heirs. And he's excited, you know that most people when we talk about God and we talk about money and possessions, one of the things that gives us trouble of trusting God is that we, don't, we think he's kind of stingy. Do you know, like we have to come up to him and say, okay, God, I've got a real problem. Here are my 15 reasons why it is that you should part with this little bit of money. I'm not gonna come again, but I, oh, here I am, and if the Lord gives it, you're like, oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, but if the same thing is needed the next day, you don't come back, because there's this belief in your head that God's not gonna give it, he gave it yesterday. And if my kids came to me, I wouldn't give it twice. He's kind of stingy like that. He's like early Scrooge. You're trying to extract something out of him and nothing could be further from the truth. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you not a little bit of food, not a little bit of clothing, the kingdom, whole thing. It's his good pleasure to give the kingdom. So look, just so sell your possessions. <laughs> We've hoarded too much, she's saying. Get rid of it all. And then give to the needy. Take what you need and pass it on. Be rich toward God. Provide yourselves with money bags, look, that, that don't grow old. Notice, that don't grow old. They don't have holes in them so that you walk around. The money comes out when, uh, when you're walking uh, a treasure in the heavens it, that, that doesn't fail because the treasures of the earth, you know that they fail. You, you can't trust them. The market goes up, the market goes down. Housing is worth this, housing's worth that. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. See, in heaven it's permanent and fulfilling and here it's fleeting and never fulfills. For where your treasure is, there your Heart will be also, so, so at the end, here's, here's, his big, here's his big push. There are two treasures that we can invest in. There's one that's here and now, you know, the rich fool, the here and now one, bigger barns, bigger houses, more stuff, hoarding of all the wealth. There's one here and now, and then there's one there and then. And the way you invest in it is you sell your possessions, give to the poor. That you don't hoard. That you're rich toward God. You leave it for the rest. You give away the extra. Got it? Two kingdoms. And here's his argument. Imagine, imagine that I came to you today, you and your friend, and I said to you guys, all right, I got two prizes Okay, two prizes. I'm gonna tell you what the prizes are and then you guys can claim them or split them whichever way you want. Um, one of the prizes is I'm gonna give you a million dollars right now. I've got it in this briefcase, okay? In ones or whatever. Here's a million dollars. Or you could have the second prize which is a billion dollars in five years. 
I mean, I don't have it with me right now. But you'll get a billion dollars in five years. Which do you want? Now look, the idiot says, oh, I want that million right now. The wise man says, no, 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 I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait for that billion, baby. Now, the million-dollar guy, he's gonna get his million bucks. He's gonna invite the billion-dollar guy to his house. The billion-dollar guy still doesn't have anything. Driving that Corolla still, baby. He drives in his Corolla. It's a massive house on property, and the million-dollar guy's gonna walk him through and say, isn't this amazing, isn't this amazing, isn't this amazing? Is the billion-dollar guy going to be jealous of any of it? Amen. <laughs> Little guy said no. Right, why? Because he knows that he's invested, he's made a choice of an investment that far outweighs the stupid million. His pleasure is to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. So in the end, it really comes down to a simple question of investment. ROI, return on investment. Which do you want? The fleeting, easy to lose, come and go wealth of this age or the kingdom in the age to come? Choose wisely. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for... Uh, uh, I'm thankful for the assertive nature of your word that uh, Jesus, you were so clear and straightforward and yet it hits us a bit because we know deep in our hearts, me included and all of those who are listening, that we, we tend to not think this way. But I pray, Father, that through the power of your spirit, using your word, that you would transform us and renew us to be kingdom people who are investing in the kingdom alone. And that in five years or a hundred years or a thousand years that we will look back and be thankful for the investment that we made as we sit in the kingdom, rich toward God. Make it so, we pray, Jesus. Amen.